Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 67. On today's episode, I have Lou Bordone of uh, Flint Ag and Turf, and they're out on the East Coast and um, on Georgia and, and some other places. So, Lou, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me, Casey. Uh, we, uh, we appreciate everything everything you're doing. Uh, truly, honestly, appreciate you doing some good stuff for the industry, so we appreciate that. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, so, Lou, let's get into your background a little bit. Tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Flint Ag and Turf. Absolutely. I uh, appreciate that. So, my name is Lou Bordoni. I'm the Equipment uh, Marketing and Export Manager at Flint Ag and Turf. Um, we're an eight-store uh, dealer group down in, in southwest Georgia, uh, based out of Leesburg, Georgia. Um, so, a little bit of background about me. Um, I'm actually from Argentina. Um, been in the been in the states for north of thirty years, but um, my family farms in Argentina, thousand acre uh, row crop applica- uh, operation uh, around the, the Cordoba area. And um, so, as far as, as my background, I studied agricultural engineering at the University of Georgia. Um, I did an internship with Deere. I, I've been a John Deere nut from from birth. That's all I've ever wanted to do. Um, so I, I interned with John Deere in Augusta uh, through through college. Uh, when I when I got out of school, I worked for a Kelly Manufacturing Company, a small manufacturing company there in uh, in Tipton, Georgia, as a as a design engineer. So mostly designing uh, deep tillage equipment, subsoilers, and equipment like that. I uh, did that for about two years. Uh, left KMC and came to work for for Flint. Um, and. Uh, about 14 years ago, and um, so I've been with Flint for about 14 years. So I started off with Flint, and also as a, as a design engineer, the product engineer for our power systems division. Uh, so Flint is also an, an engine distributor. We cover the southeastern U.S. for, for John Deere engines. So I worked as a as a design product engineer for about two years, and uh, then I got a, a a really good opportunity to move into the sales side of things. So I was relocated down to Miami. Miami, Florida, and I covered a, a, I was a regional sales manager for, for Flint Power Systems for South Florida and the Caribbean, parts of Latin America, um, so I had a blast. I did that for about 12 years and, uh, and, and, and really enjoyed that. Um, about 18 months, a year and a half ago now, I got an opportunity to move back to Georgia, uh, relocated back to Atlanta, and uh, moved into this position of, uh, of equipment marketing and, uh, and, and an export manager. So, um, you know, we, we at Flint think a little bit differently as far as used equipment. We, uh, we, we, we break up the responsibilities between, between two, two individuals. So it's myself and my counterpart, Eddie Claxton. So um, we, we work together as far as some of the different responsibilities as far as the equipment coming in and the, the, the trade numbers and then the marketing and advertising and sales aspect of it. So it works out really well that way. Um, it's been a work in, in, in progress, but uh, it, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, I, I think it works well. Um, a little bit about Flint. So uh, Flint is part of a, uh, Flint Ag and Turf is part of a bigger holding company where uh, Flint Holdings, which uh, we're, we're kind of a, a unique organization in that we've got the, the, the three product divisions of, of John Deere under one umbrella. So we've got the, the Ag and Turf uh, product line, we've got the construction and forestry, and then we've got the power systems uh, under under one, one ownership. So we've got about uh, 17 construction and forestry uh, branches, we've got eight Ag and Turf, 
And then, like I said before, we have the, the power systems or John Deere engine distribution for the southeastern U.S. and the, the Caribbean region. Um, and it, it's kind of a neat arrangement. I mean, it, it, it's, it's really interesting as far as the product support and the service standpoint. I mean, where we may not have little pockets uh, of, of, of lack of support uh, for, for engines, we've got construction dealerships that can kind of back us up a little bit. So uh, it, it allows us to do a, a really good job for, for the brand. So does your, uh, your area that you primarily cover, is that primarily Georgia and Florida? Or do you <clears throat> branch out in some of the, area, some, some of the surrounding well, states? As, as far as retail, uh-huh. uh, retail ag, um, more equipment sales, I mean, we're, we're in southwest Georgia. We're, we're up, our, our footprint is fairly small if you really look at it. Um, I mean, we're right there based out of that southwest corner of, of, uh, of Georgia. And um, you know, top to bottom, side to side, you know, we're maybe a, a hundred mile, a hundred and fifty miles north, north south, and about seventy five to eighty miles east west. So our, our footprint is, is actually quite small. Mm-hmm. But uh, and we'll probably get into it a little bit just due to our crop mix and what we've got going on our part of the road. It's a, it's a very equipment intense area. Uh, we we go through some equipment down here for sure. So it's uh, so we, we kind of need that coverage. All right, so let's jump right into that. So talk about your crop mix and and what are the uh, what are the driving forces there. Absolutely, I'd, uh, I'd be glad to talk about that. So, um, you know, m- most people know uh, South Georgia, the, the Southeast, for predominantly uh, row crop, your, your conventional uh, cotton and peanuts and, and corn. But a lot of people don't know, especially about us in South Georgia, is, um, you know, we, we've got a pretty diverse crop mix. I mean, we've got some, uh, we've got some pretty elaborate produce operations, uh, fruits, vegetables, uh, melons, watermelons. Um, you know, in addition of, uh, of a lot of pretty large sweet corn operations, and then we're also known for we're the largest uh, pecan or pecan, depending on where you're from, how you pronounce it. Uh, right. We're the largest pecan uh, growing region in the country with about 170,000 acres of, of planted pecans and growing. There is a ton of, of new acres being planted every year of pecans. That's a that's a that's probably one of our largest growing or rate wise as far as the, the largest growing uh, crops that, that we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of uh, producers uh, take some of those some of those uh, pivot triangles and some of those dry land uh, fields or conventional row crop fields and, and replanting them, you know, put putting in irrigation and turning them over to uh, to pecan. Problem is obviously there's there's a there's a, a long turnaround there as well. Depending on the variety of five, seven to maybe eight year uh, cycle there before those uh, trees start to produce but um but they're it's very optimistic as you'll see a lot of people doing a lot of conversions here in the last couple of years mm-hmm. so i was reading some articles and i was actually listening to one on uh rfd tv or i'm sorry rural radio they're talking about uh, the hurricanes that came through and and they were having a lot of issues with some of the older 20 plus year old pecan trees that they've got that that got blown over and ripped out of the ground absolutely yeah so how's that affecting your marketplace then? It, it, it has. It really has affected. I mean, fortunately, I mean, uh, pecan prices are good, uh, crops are good, and that, that market's pretty well consolidated. I mean, those guys are not just in that business; they're pretty well uh, diversified. So I mean, but but you know, it's 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 no joke. I mean, you know, we've we've had a couple of storms in the last couple of years. The one in this past year really really hurt that market, and that has a lot to do with why you know there's a lot of new acres and uh, we're planted acres. Um, but those guys definitely took took a took it in the chin. Um, the good news is, 
that's a, that's a pretty good business. Those guys do, do pretty good, so they, they were able to kind of uh, suck it up and, and move forward and put those trees back. The problem now is the availability of trees. I mean, even if you wanted to replant some acres of pecans right now, there's uh, there's not a, a lot of availability of, of seedlings at this at this point. Um, but you know that that storm last year was a was a huge disappointment, not only for pecans but for uh, uh, you know we were expecting a, a pretty strong crop as far as uh, both peanuts and and cotton. And um, if you looked at that crop at the beginning of the season, I mean, and those guys were riding high. I mean, we thought we were just going to have a crazy bumper cotton crop, especially. And um, all those overcast days, in addition to the storms themselves, the, the rain and the winds, um, really stunted that plant in the in the real critical uh, times of the season. And um, unfortunately, we, we ended up took it, taking an average of anywhere between 15, 20, 22% hits and yields, even even more than in some, in some regions. Um, which was which was pretty disappointing last year. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So I was uh, wanted to ask you that very question. So with the uh, the cotton, you know, decreased the way it was, when then you kind of marry that together with with your corn, and your soybean stuff, and and the and the, the struggles those guys are having with that, those hurricanes that came through there had to have a pretty dramatic effect on your overall economy. So let's talk about that. So EOPs aren't that far away. Um, we're, we're just going to start looking at you know new new planter orders. We're going to start looking at some new sprayers and stuff like that coming through. Um, what's the adoption rate uh, in your area for high speed planter technology? Seeing uh, 
uh, so many of the retrofits. You've got guys that are interested in the technology, but I think we're kind of slow to uh, to adopt that for right now, as far as planners do. Um, you know, uh, I think that's where we're at. Uh, I think in the next couple of years, when that, that, that technology really takes a strong hold and, and we have more availability as far as, as, as the product line or the products that, that we mostly use, I think the guys will adopt it. But right now, we're a little slow going at, at, at that. Are the planning conditions right now, are they? Are you guys in a bit of a dry spell, or do you have, um, are things primarily in a good optimal condition for you guys? We're a little bit dry. We're, we're a little bit dry right now. We, we could use a little bit of rain, but I mean, it's, it's good for right now that everybody's able to get in the field. you got to remember that most, most of our large, uh, large-scale operations, especially cotton peanuts, uh, row crop applications, are all irrigated down okay. here. I mean, we're all fortunate as far as having a, you know, our, our, our uh, kind of a shallow water table, so the majority of our uh, we 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 don't have a lot of uh, a, a lot of a, a lot of dry land uh, cotton and peanut acres channels, but they're few and far between. Definitely no 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 row crop no uh, field corn uh, dry land uh, field corn. So that kind of helps us out a little bit. Right. So when you're looking at your uh, your uh, equipment mix that you have out there right now, so are you looking primarily at? Now I know cotton takes takes a tremendous amount of tractors and, and tremendous amount of of um, support equipment to, to harvest that crop so talk to me about your ADAR market and, and talk to me about how that looks and, and how's that retail marketplace fit, uh, filling up for you that's a great question yeah that's one of the things that I think you know I, I listen to your podcast pretty much every week and I listen to some of the patterns and I think this is something that we talked about before the, 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 the podcast is um, kind of the differences between kind of the way our, our, our guys uh, roll equipment and what, what our trade cycles are and the equipment that's involved in in, in handling our, our, our crops. Um, you hit the nail on the head um, as far as the different crops that our, our, our producers uh, produce um, is very equipment uh, intensive. Um, you know, equipment per acre rates here are a lot higher than in, in the Midwest by, by far. Um, you've got a lot of uh, crop specific equipment, therefore our guys are kind of forced to own a lot more equipment uh, per acre than, than some guys, some of the guys in the rest of the country. Um, one of the problems that, that we face is the is kind of the way our, 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 our market or our producer sectors are, are split up. So you've got half of our producers are your large acre, um, you know, five thousand acre and, a, and above producer um, who's going to run. I mean, optimally, those guys will want to roll equipment every year. Um, you know, if you. Um, those guys right now are looking at a little equipment every one, one to three years, um, and they're you know largely six, seven, eight hours cotton picker sprayers, um, and then you've got the, the other fifty percent of our of our customer base are guys that are your you know fifteen hundred acre and below uh, producers that kind of trade trade on demand or as needed um, as far as the schedule you know they're on your two to five year even seven year cycles on equipment. Or really as needed, you know that that creates a problem for us. You know, as far as the absorption, um, you know, when, when these guys are rolling these, these large equipment fleets at the rate that they are, um, it causes a problem as far as as, as finding homes for that for that equipment um, with within our our, our, our footprint. Um, you know, um, we, we've had to get pretty creative, and we've had to sit down with our producers and kind of discuss with them. Um, about you know maybe running their equipment a little bit a little bit longer. Um, we've had to have conversations with them about configurations and uh, et cetera to make their equipment more marketable um, at the time that they 
that's a that's a that's a fact. Yep. Okay, so I want to ask you some stuff about your export business. So, with the uh, ramp up in cotton prices over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of guys that have, that have taken their their older 7,000 series cotton uh, pickers and moved them into uh, like the CP 690s and and, and the, the new mo- uh, all-in-one module bell processor. Um, talk to me how how your export business has played into that, and and if you've been able to e- been successful in exporting. Some of your older cotton stuff overseas. Man, that's a that's a great question. That's been a crazy phenomenon. Honestly, in the in the last, uh, I would say the last nine to twelve months. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was about a year and a half ago. We were sitting more, more cotton pickers than we than we know what to do with. You know, right. towards the end of the season last year, and and, and, and mostly mostly rural pickers. You know, seventy seven sixties for the most part. Um, leading up to last year, last harvest, uh, this past 2017, prices were ramping up, and um, man, we we moved top figures. Uh, you know, the all of a sudden it was it was uh, it was pretty crazy. That that market went went bananza, and uh, we moved pretty much all the we, we cleaned up our yards pretty pretty darn quick. So um, coming out of cotton harvest, um, from a, from an export standpoint, most of those guys that are kind of in that southern hemisphere. Um, or start uh, making their phone calls and making their rounds um, in the first of the year. You know, February, March, you know, you'll start getting phone calls from them. And, uh, you know, they're looking for all kinds of stuff. They're looking for those little basket pickers that we're trading in. They're looking for the older uh, uh, 7760s. Well, those, those, those phone calls started coming in um, in October, November of last year. And uh, these guys were getting extremely aggressive. Um, you know, they, those guys were going out to the producers, they were going out to the gins, they were finding, they were finding cotton pickers right off the farms. So it really jacked up the prices of, of those, those, old, those old machines. Um, we, we did move a, a good many machines into the, into the export sector, uh, mostly to China. China. China is a really, really strong market. Um, so at this point in time, it, it's been great. It's been great for the marketplace as a whole. Um, because it's really cleaned out that inventory of your, your older basket pickers, some of your, your early models, 7760s. Um, so we, uh, we're definitely happy with the, with the results of, of, of that. Yeah, I'm such a strong proponent of, of export. Anytime that you can get ag equipment dealers to focus on exporting and, and have that that internal avenue to, to export is so important because, like you said, just that's a great example with that, the, the, uh, the cotton side of the business. Had you not been able to get rid of those older seven seventy seven sixties basket pickers, the module process, um, uh, the module builders, and and all the stuff that went along with that, you'd have an incredibly hard time going out and trying to sell a whole bunch of brand new CP series um, cotton pickers. So it played and it played such a vital role in that. And I think it's the same way across across the board, whether you're talking combines or tractors or or sprayers or planters or whatever it is, that that export side of the business it, it needs to have attention paid to. Yeah, it's something that puts the ball in your court. I mean, if you, if you can go out and it, 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 it's going to make sense for you. I mean, it, the, the numbers have to make sense because the export side of the business um, is no joke. I mean, it's, right. it's very labor intensive. You've got to know what you're doing. There's a lot of exposure there. Um, as a dealer, you've got to kind of decide, you know, how far into it you're going to get. Right. You know, are you just going to be dealing with brokers or are you going to go ahead and manage the whole thing, you know, across the pond? Uh, we had a really great session. Out this in the last uh, uh, field of mine summit out of Nebraska this past uh, this past fall, where 
we sat down with a bunch of dealers and, and kind of exchanging ideas about about how they different dealers manage that side of their business. Um, it can be it can be very lucrative, but it can be something that can be very expensive. You got to be real picky about what equipment you're you're moving out and who you're dealing with, um, and make sure that you're set up for it. Um, fortunately, we've been doing enough of it that, um, and we do most of it out of one one of our locations where our, where we have a crew there that's got a lot of experience in in how the cotton pickers to be t- uh, torn down and how it's to be packaged and palletized and cleaned. Um, we're real lucky that we've got some outfits that we deal with as far as doing all that preparation. So, um, but it, but it's not not for everyone. Um, as far as cotton equipment, it's a great niche market, like you said, where you know it's it's not a widespread market like a, like tractors and sprayers and combines are. There's only a handful of countries in the world that are going to buy cotton pickers. The, the good thing is that the only production left at this point, really grand scale, is John Deere. So um, they're you know, they're they're looking for cotton pickers. It's going to be you know they're going to be looking at the U.S. for those. Yeah. Um, Good news is that when you put them in a container or when you put them on a ship, they're gone forever. And um, so it really puts you in control as far as controlling what that, what the, what the, what the population of that given uh, equipment is in your territory and cleans it up, which puts mm-hmm. some new stuff out there. Yep. Yep. So access to capital in, on the export side of the business right now. Interest rates are climbing up. Um, there's been a lot of you know calamities all over the place. You know whether there be some some crashing of economies and those kind of things. So Talk to me about you know what the uh, overall in your experience what the overall um, world economy I guess in the export business is looking like right now. It's all over the place. It really is. Um, we, we've had some sweet and sour uh, situations in the in the last year as far as some of the deals that we were working. Um, I, I think that right now uh, it's more crop driven. Um, again, it, it, we more than exclusively as far from the export side. Cotton pickers is by far the thing that we, we most export. So um, I think that they're watching, you know, world prices of, 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 of cotton production prices, and those guys are optimistic. So you've got your guys in in, uh, in, in Australia, you've got your guys in Brazil, you've got your guys uh, certain parts of Europe, and uh, they're they're looking up. I think that the biggest thing is that they, they those guys are in areas that are very productive and they have no option. They've got the pine machines to to harvest that crop. And um, it, it's a supply and demand thing. We get much more. We get a lot more phone calls uh, on equipment than what we can, than orders that we can fill right now. And it's no secret. Everybody pretty much knows right. that's in that's in those pockets, you know, in, in the U.S. that has that equipment. And we, we all talk to each other, so we all kind of know what the environment is. And um, but for the most part, um, I don't know that it's so much driven on. on, on their economic situation. I think it's more anything of they need the machines to harvest that crop, and um, this is where they come to get them. And, and if availability is down and demand is up, um, kind of name your price. So that's kind of the way it works. So, one thing I want to go back to, and it, I found it, this is why I love doing this podcast because you always find out something about somebody that you wouldn't have not have known, you wouldn't have guessed unless you, you know, were interviewing them about it. So, Talk to me about your family farm back in Argentina. That that's a pretty that's a pretty unique thing there. Yeah, yeah. So you know, mo- most like uh, most Italians that migrated to Argentina, we you know, we we uh, our family migrated from Italy in the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. You know, you get your uh, forty acres in a in a in a in a Deutz, You know, uh, so <laughs> you know we started farming in the turn of the century and, and, and started uh, picking up some acreage. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we right now we've, 
guys kind of saw in the, in the last report that came in the last month, we had had a terrible, terrible drought. Um, I was actually there uh, about a month ago helping my, uh, my family during, during harvest season. Um, it was terrible. It was, it, it was really devastating to see what should have been an unbelievable soybean crop. I mean, you'd go across the field and you'd see these plants that were just loaded. And when you go in to kind of shuck them out, I mean, it looked like you were harvesting lentils. Um, so the, they were saying, I mean, when we, we started shelling right when I was leaving, um, and the little bit that we did, we, we were we were 30 to 40 percent off of what we were expecting. Oh, wow. Um, so it's pretty devastating, but yeah. Argentina's a pretty interesting place. I mean, people don't know that, you know, it's still, still top 10 soybean producing uh, countries in the, in the world, so uh, when things don't go well, it, it really affects the, really affects the, uh, Yeah, and that's you know, I have Chip Nellinger on here every day to do a market recap, and uh, that was that's been a topic here the last uh, two or three weeks is that the drought situation in Argentina is actually now kind of come to fruition, and they're it's really paying a big effect, especially on the last USDA crop report, you know, and and how exactly. and, and the world storage report. So yeah, it's a big deal, and, and it's something that uh, you know it affects the overall marketplace. Yeah, it was too little, too late. I mean, honestly, I mean, I think they got a little bit of rain now, but. I mean, in, in the highly productive areas of Argentina, they're done showing. I mean, they're done harvesting, so it really doesn't really make a difference. I mean, they had a huge dry during the critical times, and um, that just plant didn't fill out. It's it's really really devastating. I mean, last year also they had a pretty rough time for the for the opposite reason. I mean, you know, they should have had a great crop, um, but it just uh, the, the the weather patterns have kind of been changing a little bit there, where you know the the, the rainy season's kind of been coming in earlier and earlier. And uh, so last year, that rainy season came right at right at harvest time, and they couldn't get in the field. I mean, there there was fields that didn't get shelled or didn't get uh, harvested until three or four months later. And um, obviously, you know what that looked like. So yeah. um, that's two years in a row kind of took it in the chin. Yeah, yeah. So on an average year, and I know it's hard to say average when you start talking about agriculture, but an average year in Argentina, what kind of what kind of soybeans are you guys looking at? Um, they, 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 get, they get some pretty pretty strong they, they, they get some pretty pretty strong yields um, comparable, comparable to the Midwest I mean so you know you're gonna have uh, you know 45 bushel 45 45 uh, soybean uh, crops are, are pretty standard and, and, and grants that that's that's dry land soybean um, you're going over that field essentially three times I mean you're planting probably that spray you know two, two times and you're going into harvest so it's it's pretty low low cost of production for the most part yeah. um so they, they, they do pretty they, they do pretty well on average it's very very fertile fertile ground um so they, they do pretty well if it's uh if, as long as the weather cooperates yeah is it uh is there an area where you can get where your family grows out i mean are they getting multiple crops a year or are they growing like one soybean crop a year it's pretty much one. I mean, it's become yeah. a joke as far as putting wheat down. Mm-hmm. Um, the tariffs are so high on the way out. I mean, I think everybody's heard the government in Argentina's got a, a little money problem. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they look to the farm for farmers store to uh, refill their, their piggy bank, if you will. So they're, they're putting some pretty high tariffs on the, on the, uh, at, the at the pork when you're um, selling your crops. So um, they, for the last two years, two, three years, it hasn't even made sense. You couldn't even break even on wheat. Um, so it's mostly one, one, one crop, soybean and corn, and uh, that's all, all you got in, in, the, in the highly productive area. Uh, further north, we'll get another, you know, there's some 
elements up there that you get some promote crops, but the, the kind of what it's known for is that cotton soybean uh, crop. Gotcha. Okay. So let's jump back up here in the United States and let's talk about what you see happen in twenty eight uh, the rest of twenty eighteen here going in through uh, basically through summer into summer time frame. Do you feel like your uh, your overall economy is, is fairly strong right now and you feel like you have some growth coming your way? Absolutely. I mean we we we've got we've got a ways to go. I mean is is uh, from an equipment standpoint. Um, I mean we're we're looking up in two thousand eighteen, I'm not gonna lie, two thousand sixteen and seventeen were rough. You know, um, they were from a from a from a dealership standpoint. Um, going into two thousand eighteen, um, you know, we've still got a, a bit of an inventory issue. Um, you know, but uh, I'm really proud of what, what we've done in the last year and a half um, as far as working through some of that some of that used inventory. Um, the good news is is that used prices are are, are ramping up. Um, there, uh, you know, we. I think that the biggest takeaway, you know, I think that the biggest thing to, to kind of take a note of is the thing that things that we've learned and the things that we're implementing in 2018 coming out of such a such an, a, a, an inventory issue for the last two years. Um, our dealership has really taken the time to refine processing procedures and the way we manage, uh, you know, our our, our engine uh, internally and externally. You know, as far as the, our company goes and as far as our customers go. Um, but we're, we're looking forward. I mean, you know, we, we've taken a lot of care to um, look back into history and look what got us into some of these big uh, uh, surplus inventory situations and what we could do to prevent those things. And um, you know, uh, some of the some of the things some of the things that we're talking to our customers about is um, you know historically people have had a, a stigma about about equipment coming out of the south, and it's really affected our, our equipment values and our marketability of our equipment. So we've gone back and sat down with our, our customers and, and you know we said you know what, what things can we do to add value to our equipment and make it more marketable at trade-in. So some of the things that we're doing is we've sat down with our customers and said you know we've, we've pushed them into going ahead and purchasing uh, long-term comprehensive you know so five-year uh, five-year five-thousand-hour comprehensive warranties on everything from a six uh, six RL uh, sprayers, cotton pickers, combines. Um, that's a that's a huge deal, and our guys have been open to it. Uh, configurations, you know, we've we've talked with uh, with other dealers across the, the country that we that we work with, and, and asked them, you know, what, what you guys need, what are you guys looking for, and um, at the time of ordering our tractors, we've reconfigured those tractors. It's small, minor details um, as far as the configurations go that make those tractors right. uh, much more marketable. It's not so much about the, the value; it's just about how how opening your reach and, and, and you know work, working with that equipment. Um, I think it's created some opportunities for for some dealers and some some dealers across the country. Um, a little bit of what I, a little bit of what I do is I, I go across the country and meet other John Deere dealers, specifically John Deere dealers, and trying to develop those relationships with them and seeing how we can work together and. There's some synergies about the way we roll equipment that can create some serious opportunities for some for some uh, uh, dealers uh, across the country and vice versa. Um, but we're we're looking up. We're looking up for 2018. Um, you know, we've gotten our used inventory down to a manageable to a, get to a manageable level. Um, uh, used inventory is or the inventory that we have left is uh, is an inventory that I think we can we can. We can absorb. Um, we're still uh, we 
things like you've talked in some of your podcasts uh, in the past, um, just like other folks in the country, we've got some pockets in our inventory, um, like a lot of people, I mean, we, I think we could make use of some more, you know, we're low hours, seven and eight hours, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of heavier on those kind of mid-range, 1,500, two, 3,000 hour, uh, eight hours, um, so, uh, you know, that, that, that's kind of where we're at, but I mean, we're, we're definitely looking up in 2018. Yeah, and I would, uh, I would agree with everything you're saying there, I mean, we, I think there are, uh, some great opportunities coming in 2018. I, I've said it a couple times where I think it's guys are buying equipment now, not necessarily because they have, or not because they want to, but because they have to. And, you know, they've, they've hit that point of a reconditioning thing or that the hours are significantly higher than they feel comfortable with. Um, you know, there's, there is some, there's some pent up buying demand out there and, you know, we're going to get these machines washed out and pushed out into a different thing. Now on the flip side of that, how are you handling like you said, you had some higher hour machines right now. How are you handling those? Because I'm seeing right now, like I look at the machines that come across my desk and, and those machines that I'm valuing, and they are, they're higher. They have a lot more hours or hours per year use than, than I've seen in a long, 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 long time. And it's getting harder to find, you know, that place where you're going to go with that higher hour at 8R now. You know what I mean? And uh, But it's also, you're looking at some 2012 machines, and it, those are six, almost seven-year-old machines. And... You know what? Are you, what are you going to do with those four and five thousand hour machines? How, how are you focusing on those, and, and kind of what is your kind of history been with machines like that? So, so that's a that's a great question. It's a, it's a it's a conundrum. I mean, there there's no there's no lie. I mean, you know, we we definitely do have um, we we've got some guys in the area that know what kind of equipment we produce. I mean, so they're they're coming out and they're looking for it. Um, but it, but it's definitely a challenge. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, a couple of things that we're doing. I mean, I, I think number one is sitting down with our sales guys. We've got some, we've got some guys on our on our sales team that are really good at moving those higher hour tractors. They know how to identify um, that customer base, and they know those guys that we have that that seven thousand hour tractor, or, you know, that, that that older tractor where they can move them up and uh, tra- trade them out of that tractor. And um, it takes that's not a customer that you're going to maybe interface with on a regular basis. Um, but we've got some real, real, real sharp guys that when you sit down and tell them, hey, listen, it ain't about, it's not just about selling, you know, making retail sales. It's about keeping your inventory fresh and going out there and looking for those guys. And, and, and it's, a, it's a boots on the ground. It's, it, that doesn't happen in the office. I mean, you got to go call on those guys and you got to find those one, one by one. You know, the other thing is that, you know, we've, we've re, you know, we've broken back up the Rolodex of those guys out throughout the, throughout the country. That are looking historically look for those higher hour tractors, um, and complementary or you know the, the, that that's a different kind of sales, and that's kind of forced us to do a different uh, kind of take things. It, it's forced us to look at the, the way we handle our equipment at the at the at the time of trend a little bit differently. That goes back to the processes. You know we've gotten a lot stricter about you know evaluating equipment you know pre pre trade um, about as soon as a piece of equipment comes in. Um, I listened to your podcast last week. It was very good about your, your kind of your post-trade uh, process and inspections. We've gotten a lot stricter about that, and we've gotten a lot more um, as far as um, you know. We, we put a designation on a piece of equipment. We call it kind of a, uh, a disposition code, and we kind of predict where it is that we're going to go for the piece of equipment. And depending on where we're going to go with that piece of equipment, it determines what we do. I mean, so is that a tractor that most likely is going to be surplus and is going to be moved out to another dealer? Most dealers 
are not going to care too much about about recon. They're going to want transparency. So I mean, they're going to want the best inspection they can. They want the story. They want the you know possibly they want to get in touch with the with the previous owner. So I mean, they want full transparency, and and we're more than open to providing that. Um, you know, a retail tractor. You know, the name of the game there is get it back on the front line as quickly as possible. Clean it up. Get it inspected. Do the like you, what I think what you called your your A items. You know, go ahead and knock those out. Go ahead and service service the tractor. Um, if there's a taillight busted, and you got to kind of think forward and see who your customer is and what are his expectations. Uh, no, tr- you know, no, no two tractors are created equally. Right. Not even two tractors that are spec'd out and have the same powers. It's about knowing, in my opinion, it's it's about knowing what you can absorb um, of, a, of, a, of a given of a given product category and um, and, and and acting accordingly. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a little thing of, of what we're doing. But it was with all that said and all that done, um, you may think you got it figured out, but uh, you still look back and you say, man, I'm about to have a, a, another three to five of, of this tractor that I that I still can't do. Right. Um, so it's it's you know, I don't think anybody's got a silver bullet there. So it no. just takes a little bit. God it. no. I wish we would someone would come up with a silver bullet. It'd make it so much easier. When you have uh, local auctions, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I don't know how active you guys are in the auction market right now, but talk about the local auction market you see right now and, and, and kind of give me the, the vibe you're getting out of the auctions you see around you. Sure. That's a great question. Um, so we do, we, we're lucky in the sense that we, we have some pretty strong um, uh, auction companies down in the world um, that we work extremely closely with. Um, you know, the, the elephant in the room is obviously what the conversation we were having before about, you know, trying to, the biggest problem that we have is absorption. So our, our, the conversations that we're having with our, with our auction companies are, and the auctions that happen in our part of the world are, you know, listen, it's a gentleman's agreement, but, you know, let's try to do everything we can about moving this, this stuff out of, out, of, out of the area. Um, because, again, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's strangling us. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, we're, we're pretty lucky. Sense that we've got some really great people to work with, and we've got some great outfits in the, in the region that, that work with us. Um, and uh, we, we kind of sit down and talk about the equipment that, that we need to move and the, the type of equipment that we need to move and um, kind of what our current uh, product mixes are and inventory mixes are, and kind of a, the best strategy as far as the pricing goes. Um, I think we're seeing the same thing that, that you've been seeing, maybe not to the magnitude of as far as auction, auction values and auction results. Um, they're, they're on the upswing. I mean, we're not seeing the crazy numbers like you guys are seeing that you've been talking about in the last couple of weeks, but they're definitely on the, on the uptick. Now, I think the strong the auction market has been as strong now as it's ever been, and oh, yeah. but you know I think it has it all goes back to um, the on farm auction is what's driving that. I watch consignment sales all the time, and I'm not seeing anything crazy happen there. It's the when they stand behind, you know, they got Farmer Joe over here, and you look at his pristine place he has, and he's got you know you can eat off the floor and everything else. They paint that picture of hey, this machine's been really super taken care of, and it's over the top awesome, and this that and the other thing. That's what's driving that, you know. I can comment on that. I mean, you know, we don't, I, mean, uh, I think the thing to keep in mind in our part of the world is that you know we kind of went through the consolidations maybe um, a little bit quicker or sooner than, than some of the uh, rest of the rest of the country. Um, so you know, as far as the, the family, the family farmers going out of got out of business and those, those retirement sales are kind of few and far between in our part of the world. 
um, you're, you're not seeing way too much of that. And, um, you know, we, we did have one not too long ago, and it was a, it was a huge deal. And I think, uh, you know, we, we saw, you know, that this was a, a, a regarded family in the area. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they had some equipment in there. They got numbers that, man, I wish we could have. <laughs> exactly, and, yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. It, it, it's that, it's, uh, I, I think it's the environment, and I think it's that community. Um, I think farmers are farmers are farmers. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, and I think they look out for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're very, you know, very regional, and I think that uh, I think they know what's happening before the, the, the auction brochures go out. So yeah. um, most of that equipment, I mean, we we had a we had a, a cotton picker, uh, we had a cotton picker on that on that sale. Um, you know, seven seven sixty go. Command much higher prices than what we've been retailing in the last six months. Yeah. Um, and I'm okay with that. Good, good for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he's getting out. Um, let, let him go out with a bang. You know, we do this for a living. We'll, we'll make it up. Yeah. We'll just do that too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what it comes down to. The good thing about those retirement cells, I think everybody understands that it's a retirement cell and it's it's a different. You know, it's like the Super Bowl of auctions. You know, it's, there's always a hype. And there's always something that goes along with it. Um, whereas, you know, the, the local consignment sales that you see, um, they're just an everyday event. You know, guys have stuff in there. And, you know, sometimes they have a piece on there that goes goes higher than normal. I uh, was at one where they, you know, had some dispersals at a, at a normal consignment sale air, uh, arena that they normally, you know, a bi-monthly or monthly auction that they have. And they had some uh, machines in there that were... Um, there were dispersals the guys were retiring or whatever the, whatever the situation was and the machines brought fairly decent money but I think a lot of again going back to my previous statement they needed they were low hour units so they needed to get their 5,000 hour something or 4,000 hour something and trade it into a 1,500 hour something you know yeah. and that, that was where that's coming from so um, you know the auction market is the auction market is what it is um, but it is the barometer of the area and if you start having low Auction values, that's the canary in the coal mine, and something bad's coming down the way. Absolutely. All right, man. So, well, Lou, I think we've covered it here, man. Um, I really appreciate you being on the podcast, and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. So, um, that's their, uh, you have any final words before we shut it down? No, no. Uh, we just, we really appreciate this every week. We listen to it every week. We appreciate what you're doing, and, and, uh, and you know, we're, we're here to help. You know, if anybody wants to reach out to us or you want to work with, with uh, one of the, this is a, a, a small region and it gets smaller every day, so yep. uh, it's important to stay connected for sure. Great. Well, if guys want to get in contact you, uh, contact with you, how would they do that? So, um, www.flintequipco.com is where you'll find our, our dealership. Uh, I'm Phil Bordoni at Flint Powell, uh, flintequipco.com. Mm-hmm. Um, Cell phone number, 954-815-7981. All right, that sounds good. All right. Well, Lou, I appreciate you being on the podcast. That's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. If you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also go to movingironllc.com where you can find past and present episodes of the Moving Iron Podcast, uh, blog articles, and information about the, uh, the Moving Iron Summit in uh, October in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, Hey, let me say, let me say. Go ahead. Go ahead. Now let's go move some iron. <laughs> okay, let's go move some iron, man. All right, Lou, appreciate you being on, and uh, we'll catch you next time, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Whoops, I hit the wrong button. Dog it. <laughs>